Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is really a part three in this long series on discipleship, as we've been in a study that continues to reveal the inexchangeable necessity of the power of the Spirit of God to make disciples. This morning, we will learn that the local church is part of God's strategic design in growing and making disciples. Thanks for listening this morning as we focus on the intertwining and interdependent nature of all the members of Christ's body, the church, for the purpose of making and growing disciples. Well, it was about four weeks ago now that I ended up catching um, uh, the flu. Um, Show of hands, anybody else been sick last couple of weeks? I know it's been going around. Yep, see, it's worked its way through a few of our houses. Um, as I was getting over it, uh, your body's design for getting over something like a fever and a flu is to get all this mucus that kind of works its way up into your sinuses. And uh, I had already planned previously uh, that my family and I were going to go to Green Bay. So just as I was getting better, we went to Green Bay and we went out to eat at Applebee's. Now, I don't know if you're like me at all, but when I've been sick, as soon as I start eating, the Phlegm comes back. And so I, it's, this is a disgusting illustration, by the way, for all you guys. So, uh, so I, I excused myself to the men's room and uh, found some tissue paper and did one of the, just a, just a clean and everything out. And when I did, it like shifted my inner ears so that the world started to spin. And so I'm, I'm walking out of the bathroom, like holding onto the handrail. And I'm, my brain is telling my foot to step here, but it steps there. And now I'm, I'm falling over. And one of the waitresses was like, who, who overserved that gentleman? <laughs> Uh, I, I re- and, I, and, then I start, and then if you like that with uh, vertigo, if you ever had that, you start to feel nauseous, right? And so I just took a moment. Thankfully, Emily was also in the bathroom, so she came back, held my hand. I made it back. Uh, I did one of these and kind of put everything back in place. <laughs> it, you, you, you laugh because you've been there, right? You know what that's like. Um, I... I was just struck by the interconnectedness of the human body, right? That here my brain is trying to tell my foot what to do. But how many little stages are involved in that one little action to get my foot to respond to the head? How many different places is there a possibility for an interruption and an interference in that obedience and that command? And it reminds me of the primary illustration that God gives for the church. The New Testament teaches us that the church is a body. In fact, we are called Christ's body, meaning that everybody has a unique role to play. And this comes to you by virtue of the Spirit of God indwelling you, which is where we looked at last week. I want want to know, as we're kind of picking up the pace here for this discipleship series, this morning is really a part three message. So two Sundays ago, we were in the book of Galatians, studying about how if your identity is not in Christ, then it's yourself ruling on the throne of your heart. And you are going to have to obey how much of the law in order to be righteous? How much of it? All of it. If you break just at one point, you're going to be guilty of all of it. And so if you are the one seated there having to, to, um, to obey everything that God has commanded, you can be sure that you will fail. 
And therefore, the New Testament says that you are therefore under a curse. You're under a curse. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so it's our job as disciples to place our identity in Christ. That is where I find all of my hope, all of my future. Any righteousness that could come my way does not come by virtue of myself. It comes through Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 And then at the end of that, we didn't get to get into it, but it was two weeks ago that Paul's reason for walking us through this beautiful unfolding of God's covenantal fulfillment of promise through Christ was so that you Gentiles would be able to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That, That was the goal. It was all pointing to the Holy Spirit. And so last Sunday, we looked at that. And we studied how when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he says in John 14 and 15 and 16, it's good that I go away because if I'm going away, I'll send who? I will send the Holy Spirit. He is another helper. He's a comforter and he will be with you forever. Yes. And so we looked at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how that discipleship is grown and drawn by much of what you heard from Debbie's children's message this morning, by you learning to listen to the Spirit of God that has made you alive in Christ. And so that was going to bring us to this morning. Because as the Holy Spirit indwells His people, the Holy Spirit as well is going to reveal Himself in your life for the purpose of the growth of the body. Um, We're going to be studying what is commonly referred to in churches as spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. In my time preparing this week, um, I was again frustrated and encountered with the variety of ways in which churches have attempted to categorize spiritual gifts. There is much confusion when it comes to to the ordering and categorization of spiritual gifts. As we look through it this morning, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians 12. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. And I'm I'm going to start out by just highlighting what if there is any form of categorization. We're We're going to solve that right at the beginning so we can move on to what I think the apostle really wants us to understand. 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. There are some people who have sought to divide the gifts of the Spirit up by their styles. Some of them are functioning inside the church, outside the church. Some people think that they're divided up by uh, gender or sex, that some belong to men, some belong to women. Some people have divided them up by gifts that continue and gifts that stop. Or by some that are naturally given and some supernaturally given. Church, I don't think I agree with any of that. I don't think I agree with any of it. Um, If there's... If there's any distinction, it can only be found in two places. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look with me starting in verse 4. Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. So three things were listed here. Gifts, service, and working. Now, was it Paul's intention that we would divide all spiritual gifts into those three? No, I do not think that is correct. In fact, if you were paying attention, not to the diversity of what he said, but what he had in common, do you see the word same repeated? Same what? Same spirit, same Lord, and same God. This is, this is one of the few places in our New Testament you see the Trinity explicitly listed. That we serve 
a unique God amongst all of the gods. He's found Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that all gifts come accrued and disseminated by this one God. And so, well, if I'm going to try to divide them up, I actually think there's a better passage for it. Uh, You could write it down. I have it up here on the screen. This comes from 1 Peter 4. Peter encourages the church. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that at all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I think there were only two categories there. Did you catch them? By By the Spirit's indwelling in your life to gift you, I think if we're going to do this, if we're, and by the way, this is just, preliminary we're moving on past this in a minute but if you wanted to if you had to because we're dealing with spiritual gifts this morning how do we categorize them i think it's either something that you use by virtue of sharing with your mouth and from your heart speaking it's a speaking gift or it's something you're doing with your with your hands it's a serving gift now our expression of worship here at this church has sought to model this division by having two main ministries of which you've heard me say, you all need to be in one or the other. Do you know what those are? Helping hearts or helping hands. If you're helping hearts, what are you doing? Hopefully it's, it's speaking the very words of God for encouragement and hope, comfort and kindness and love and peace. And if you're not using that gift in the, in the church, well, then I expect that you're serving in some way. And there's such diversity to be used in serving. I just wanted to begin that to make sure that we can pull that Band-Aid off right away and move on from it. Because if I were to stand up here and try to find some cohesion in Christian teaching over the division of spiritual gifts, we will be here all day. So, you guys ready to move on? Yes, sir. All right. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to read through now verse uh, 7. Uh, right towards the end of the chapter. Uh, We're going to divide it up then into what I've identified as some key premises that the Apostle Paul will build upon. As we look at each of those, and I'm going to move quickly through them, I want you to try to identify those in the text. So start with me here in verse 7. Paul writes to the church, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another in the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He gives to each one just as He determines. Uh, we're going to begin here with what, with what I'm identifying two key premises from the Apostle Paul. Number one, first premise is this. All true disciples are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and they are gifted diversely. I think one of the main problems that people run into when they try to categorize these gifts, because we just read through a bunch of them. Did, did you catch some of them, right? What, what, what were some of them? Wisdom, knowledge, faith, uh, miraculous powers and healing, tongues and spirits and interpretation. Did, did you see the whole list there? Yes. 
I think that if you thought Paul was giving us this list to try to categorize, I think you missed the point. Because what was repeated over and over and over and over and over? It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit, which should teach you about unity. And yet there's another word that's actually repeated more often. Did you see it? To another, to another, to another, to another, to another. That brings us to the second premise, which is that all spiritual gifts are designed for the building up of the body of believers. That is the church. It's all about the community of believers. Just to, just to nail that point down, this is worth underlining in your Bible. Look at verse 7. He's speaking to the church. Those who have found their identity in Christ. He says, to each one. So to how many? How many is that? That's everybody. We're all on the same page here. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for... For what? The common good. Here's why this is so critical. Uh, As churches have sought to taught on spiritual gifts, they'll do many times a spiritual gift inventory, and, and we'll look at that at some point in our future. But the danger is many times you will lean towards whichever gift you think you'd like. You will lean towards that thing that you would like to have in the church. So often, uh, percentage-wise, most Christians, when they take these tests, all have the gift of leadership. Did you know that? Everybody wants to be in charge. And nobody has the gift of giving somehow. I'm not sure how that happens when you look at these. Percentage-wise, they're all over the map. Your gift, according to verse 7, you have it. The Spirit is living in you, and therefore he's going to be manifesting himself in your life somehow. But it's not for you. It's not for you. It's for who? What's it say in verse 7? For the common good. It is for the body. So this leads to this conclusion. All spiritual gifting is designed to be expressed and developed within the community of believers. Now, we are in a series on discipleship. How do we grow as Christians? How do we mature as Christians? And if this is true... This has huge implications for how the church expects growth within discipleship. Let me just read it one more time. All spirit gifting is designed to be expressed and developed where? In the church. It's all designed to be expressed within the church. So here's the implication when it comes to evangelism. This means that you, if you're an evangelist, you cannot make a disciple. You can make a convert. You can make, you can make somebody uh, who prays a prayer, who places their faith in Jesus Christ, but that person's not a disciple until what? Until they are able to take the gifting of the Spirit of God and plug it into the function of the body. Which means, in order to make disciples, it requires a local church. In fact, This is not even hard for us to grasp. Do you know the main passage that talks about making disciples? The end of Matthew's gospel. You guys know this, right? Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations by what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Where do we do that? We do that in church. And teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the day. Where Where do we find the teaching of obedience? Where do we find it? It's in church. It's right here. If you're going to make a disciple, 
You need one another. Do you hear me? If you're going to make disciples, you need the church to come together. Here's an implication for leadership. I think some church leaders mess this up too. If this is true, you know what that means? You can't have one guy doing all the work. There's no version of discipleship in a church that leaves the congregant. And so here's the expectation for the worshipers. There's no such thing as passive participation. You will not grow in discipleship if you're like, well, that's why we hired that guy. That's why we pay him to do all the work. Well, fine. That's fine. You're just not going to grow. You know what you are? You're not a disciple. You are an attender. That's what you are. You're a church attender. That's different than being a disciple. Let's get back to the root word of disciple. Do you know what it means? Disciple is a student. Somebody who does what? Follows Jesus. And so Jesus, if through the Spirit you are being led, and does the Spirit speak to us? Debbie, does the Spirit speak to us? And if you are not what? Then stop calling yourself a disciple. You're not a disciple. You're just a a tender. Here's what this means for a parachurch organization. So these are like Christian schools, uh, mission agencies, uh, even things like Christian radio. If this is true, then you cannot become a disciple by going to a Christian college, by working for an agency, or by listening to Christian radio. Every one of those groups needs to emphasize the participation of the, of the worshiper in the life of the local church. Because this is where discipleship happens. And just one more for you. Um, and I got to say, um, it's kind of my goal to offend everyone today. So uh, just be patient with me on this one. All right. Ask for your patience. If this is true, <clears throat> what does this mean for the quarantined? Now, I just checked on Zoom. Uh-oh. We have like more people on Zoom this morning than we've had in a long, long time. So um, there are three different kind of people on Zoom. There are those who are sick or traveling or cannot come to church. All right. That's a category of people. I have been that. You have been that in some point in the past. That's why we still do Zoom. Because for whatever reason, you will have times where you cannot come to church. Thank goodness you can still plug in and be here with us in spirit and participate. But then there's a second time a person who is on Zoom, and they should be here. They should be here. And it's just easier not to be here. And that person, that person is going to lose in their ability to grow as a disciple. And then there's one last type of person. It's the person who cannot come here but is still serving. And I'm so happy to say, I'm not going to name any names, but we have somebody who's been joining us on Zoom lives far, far away, could never come here. And she recently reached out to Lois to say, can I join the hearts? She's never been here before. She's only been here on Zoom. But guess what? She's now serving alongside you and I by joining the hearts. And, and so this is, <clears throat> this is where I want to make sure that we're understanding the reality of what Paul is teaching. All spiritual gifting. It's designed to be expressed and developed within the community of believers. Let's continue on. Look with me starting in verse 12. Paul says the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. 
For when we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, and we were given all, sorry, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Two premises here. Number one, all the parts of the body are necessary for the body's good growth and survival. You don't get to say, because I'm not like that one, I guess I don't get, I'm not part of it. You need every part. Premise number two, a part's value or importance is, de- is defined by its necessity. And so if we're saying we need every part, then every part has value. And so our conclusion here is no one part of the body is more important or necessary than any other part. Let's continue reading verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet. This is what happened to me at Applebee's. I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. And we're going to pause there in the middle of verse 24. Two premises on this one. All the parts of the body have an individual responsibility or function. So the feet are required. The eye is required. And then there's a bunch of invisible parts that we never see. We had the stomach flu in our house not too long ago. I discovered parts of my body that I didn't know about. And that I'm very glad I have. Because they had a function that I was... Needing and healing. Second premise is that not all, not all parts of the body have the same function of responsibility. So Paul says here that there are certain ones that are weaker. They are indispensable. There are certain ones that may be thought of as being less honorable. You need to give them special honor. He's just talking about the human body as a metaphor here. Here's the conclusion between these two. When the diverse individual parts are all functioning, meaning they're all healthy, guess what the result is? The whole body is healthy. And so what that requires within a body is sometimes a little extra attention for one part over another. If, not, if all the parts are not a value judgment of being better or worse than, than each other, then if one part needs extra attention, that will ultimately serve who? It will serve the whole. 
The whole of the body is benefited by our giving attention to those that seem to need a little extra help. All right, continue with me in verse 24. He says, but God, everybody with me? Verse 24. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that, eat, but, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Two premises on this one. First, all the parts of the body are intertwined with all the others. They're all twisted up. What was that song? The hit bones connect to? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. There's, There's no division in the body. That being the case, every now and then, certain parts will experience hurt and pain and suffering. Here's the conclusion from that. What happens to one part of the body is felt by the whole. Now, I know I don't have to preach much more on this. I've seen a lot of nodding. This church understands what that means and what that's like. All right, one last section. Go with me again. We're going to finish out the chapter, verse 28. And in the church, God has appointed first. By the way, who did the appointing? Not me, not you. God appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having the gifts of healing to help uh, those who are able to help others, those with gifts of administration and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Rhetorical question after rhetorical question. What's the answer? No, no, no. They're not all the same. Um, Verse 31 has some interpretive issues with it. Uh, My text says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. There's another way of rendering that verb that says, but you eagerly desire the greater gifts. One of the problems in Corinth is that everybody wanted to be in charge. Everybody wanted the fancy upfront, look at me type of gifts. Paul's going to go on in 13, and we're going to cover this in a later, uh, a later ins- installation in discipleship, but showing them how you are to express these gifts. Here are the simple two premises I want to draw from this. Number one, Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is the head of this body. Amen. Ephesians 4, 7 Uh, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So God, Christ, the Spirit, they are the ones deciding who gets which gift. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we will all grow up in every respect to maturity to the body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. And so premise number one, Jesus is the head. Second premise is exactly what I told you happened to me at Applebee's. In order for a body to function properly, the individual parts must have connection to the head. So you put those together, and here's our conclusion. The individual members of a church, this is you I'm speaking to now. The individual members of the church must have a functioning connection with Jesus. If you are the members, and together we make up the body, there's only one who can be in charge, and it's not you, and it's not me. It's Jesus. And if this body is going to work the way it's supposed to, each of us individually has to be connected to Jesus. Your neighbor can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. 
You, you have to be the one who is connected to Jesus. Or as Debbie helped us to see, ready to listen. So I have a few conclusions that I want to offer that are just repetitions of each of these earlier conclusions. First is this, growth in discipleship requires participation in the local church, a Christian community. There is no such thing as spectator participation. I mentioned to some of you they had the great eight games uh, this weekend in in town. Uh, My daughter Sadie was playing on a five-on-five fourth grade girls basketball team of which I got to be an assistant coach helping work with all of the fundamentals of the game. And at one point during the game, I looked over and Sadie was sitting on the bench and she had her legs folded like she was at the beach. (laughs) Now, how much is she going to improve sitting on the bench, chilling? Is she going to improve that way? No. No, it's only when you are in the game that you are going to be able to refine and to work and to grow in the expression of your role. This is one of the things that I told the girls, that they each have a role to play while they're out there. But the only way it gets developed is if you're in the game. So that means growing in discipleship requires participation in a local church. Secondly, humility in discipleship. By the way, this is essential in a church. If you don't have this, we're in big trouble. Humility in discipleship affirms that no one gift is greater than another. I think people are quick to judge. And sometimes when they're quick to judge, it's because they judge themselves too harshly. You have a gift of the Spirit. You do. But it's probably different than the one of the person sitting next to you. It's the same Spirit, though. It's not not a separate calling. It's the same Spirit. And so sometimes when people are harsh over the judgment of their own gifting... They expect everybody else to do what they do. And so this leads, unfortunately, to accusation and frustration within the body. Do you remember the disciples' lack of humility at times? Do you remember James and John pulled Jesus aside and they're like, hey man, they probably didn't say hey man, but they were like, Jesus, let one of us sit at your right and one of us at your left. What are they wanting? They're wanting honor for who? For themselves. Now, are they doing it because they love Jesus? And I think yes. I think they genuinely love Jesus. But I think they have missed the humility. Do you remember that within the body, no one part is any better than any other part? But how easy are we to judge each other over the stupidest things? Because one person shows up early. Well, why do they always show up early? (laughs) Or one person comes in late. Well, they're always late. <laughs> What's going on? No, we, we got to be careful. We got to be careful because this is the body of Christ. Third conclusion, maturity. And for this, I mean health misspelled up here, but maturity or health within the body in discipleship means that everyone has a role to play, which means diversity is essential to maturity. Do you remember Paul said it over and over again? If the whole body was an eyeball, then you're going to miss out on the function of a body. If the whole body were an ear, you're going to miss out. And uh, what I want you to know is sometimes uh, you see this in churches that are, that are one-dimensional. 
Because let's be honest, it's really easier not to come here. Seriously, if all you want to do is check the I went to church today box, do not come to this church. There's going to be another church for you that's going to be happy to let you just check the box and leave. But you will not find that at this church. It's just like when I was coaching the girls. Every one of the girls on that team, you have a role to play. And you can't all score. Right? Have you ever been, anyone coach? Any of you see that? Like one girl just wants to keep the ball all for herself? Well, good luck. It's five on one now. Like, you're done. But when you see the diversity, when you see it and then you learn to embrace it and celebrate it and encourage it, it will lead you to maturity in the body. This is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians. You heard it read from Jeannie already this morning. That every part within the body grows itself up in love with diversity. Fourthly, unity and discipleship says that what happens to one of us happens to all of us. I'm not sure I could add anything more to what Debbie has already said in regards to we're all going on these mission trips. Right? So if it happens to one of us, it's happening to all of us. (laughs) Now... You know this implicitly in your own body if you've ever stubbed your toe, right? How how many times have you thought about your toes this morning? How many times? Zero. You haven't thought about your toe at all until... And now, yes. Because what happens to one part affects the whole. Do you know that I've, I've talked to people in this church who are just in tears at times. Do you know that there is such... The devil is really at work. Do you know that? Yes, Deception to fool us, to make us think that we're not loved by one another. Where does that come from? That does not come from here. Help me. I'm asking for your help. Help me. When you see that, that is a member of Christ's body who is hurting. You take a minute. Put your arm around them. Um, I can remember there was one time in a service that there was a loved one who passed away and a family member didn't know and they left. And someone here saw that happen, and so they chased him down and left with them. That's what we need to do for one another. Because what happens to one of us, it affects all of us. All right, fifthly and lastly, order in discipleship requires that Jesus is in charge of the organization of the body. I, I want to just draw your attention back into the text on this last one. Uh, if you look in verse 11, Notice it says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Look at verse 24 in the middle. But God combined the members of the body and has given the greater Greater honor the parts that lacked it. And then look at verse 28. In the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles and prophets and on from there. Do you guys see it? God's in charge of this thing. God's in charge of this thing. So that means you and I have to lean on Jesus if this thing's going to have any order behind it. I want to give you three applications for today and then we're done for this morning. If all of this is true... If the body of Christ is intertwined and you are expected to be part of it, first thing is this. You need to stay connected to the head. My dad used to say it like this. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Debbie said it this morning. Are you you willing to listen? Yes, Lord, I am listening. Speak to me. 
When you leave this place today, there are a million things to distract you from this right here. Million of them. You got things to fix. You don't, you don't have enough time to even listen to me much longer. All right? We're, right? That's how this day is going. There's a million things to do. It takes a choice on your part because it will not happen by accident. And I've heard this before. People say, well, I got I to gotta find some more time. to." Re-. You are not going to find it. You're not going to find time. The only way it works is if you make time. And so you have to stay connected to the head. I can't tell each of you how to do that. You have to figure that out on your own. But I promise you this. As you do, God will speak to you to show you your role in this body. You have a role to play in this body, whatever that is. And that will come as you learn to listen to what God says. Secondly, you need to serve and speak. Those are, that's the division. This is where we started. Two different kinds of gifts. It's either a service gift or it's a speaking gift. And so whichever that is in your life, you need to do it like Jesus. You need to do it with the attitude that Jesus has. Now, I'm going to just, I've seen this happen, but I'll just pick on myself. Um, do you know every, every Saturday as I'm finishing up my message, put, punishing the finishing touches, that there are like angel voices in my office. I'm just glowing. That every time, that, of course, that's not how it is. Do you know that sometimes I'm like, why did I take this job? I can't do it. That's true. That sometimes the attitude is a problem in my heart. How about, how about you? Do you ever have those moments where it's like, why do I got to move the chairs? And why do I got to wipe the tables? And why do I got to, shouldn't someone else be... Oh my goodness. Oh, be careful. Be careful. Because you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Look at these verses real quick. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, you need to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Paul says the same thing in Romans that dovetails into our message today. Romans 12, Paul says... For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, is this sounding familiar? Yes. And these members don't have all the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, Form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it because you have to. Do you see the issue? It's really not a matter of the gifting. It's really a matter of how you're expressing that gift. God's gifted you. We need to make sure that as we are serving and speaking, that we're doing it with the attitude of Jesus. Lastly, I want to give each of you some homework. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church? When it comes to spiritual gifts, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I think one of the most deceptive ways that you can identify that is choosing it yourself. I am gifted with no. 
you know one of the best ways to discern your spiritual gift? Is to ask the person who knows you best. The, the person in your life who knows you better than anybody else. And so here's my challenge to you. I, I want you to try to find three people. See if you can do this. I mean, if you're not going to do it, don't do it, right? But I mean, I hope you do because I think this will really bless you. Find three people who know you well enough and ask them, hey, what would, you th- what would you say the gifting of the Spirit in my life is? And I don't think we need to do what so many spiritual gift inventories have done, which is to list out and categorize and get just these. You can only pick one of these. I think that the manifestation of the Spirit can look in a variety of ways of speaking and of serving. And so here's your homework. See if you can find three people and ask them, what would you say the Spirit's working in my life looks like? And just jot it down. And then see if you can develop that here. See if you can grow that here in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me today?